Hey, now say now you're tuned into the Wake Up and Win podcast, and I am your host, Devon Pouncey. I am here in the beautiful city of Portland, Oregon, at the Living the Dream Studios. And today we got a special guest joining us all the way from Phoenix, Arizona. She is a reporter for Suns.com, which is the official website for the Phoenix Suns. Um, she also may, re- may be able to remind some of you folks that she used to be on the beat here for the Oregon State Beavers at the Oregonia. So for my Oregon listeners, you might be able to remember her quite well. Gina Mizell, thank you so much for joining me here on the podcast today. Hey, Javon, I'm so excited to be here. Always fun to talk with friends and to, to reminisce a little bit. Absolutely, absolutely. And we'll certainly reminisce, but today I wanted to start off with like how fun this Phoenix Suns team is and how fun it's been being able to watch them on this journey. Um, obviously you being from Phoenix mm-hmm. and even just thinking for what it's worth, this Phoenix Suns team or the city of Phoenix as a whole really never stopped having fun during this pandemic. And maybe there's some carryover there from the way the city has been able to operate leading into what we've been able to see on display on the basketball court. But we got to put the fun on pause a little bit because unfortunately we did have a little bit of breaking news yesterday with Chris Paul. Um, he is out indefinitely because of COVID-19 health protocols that he has to go through and deal with. But can we just kind of get a quick update on what's going on with Chris Paul? Did he actually test positive? Do we know if he tested positive? Where do things stand with Chris Paul here today? Yeah, well, unfortunately, I can't share too much more other than what Monty Williams shared after practice on Wednesday. But You know, there are reports out there that it was a positive test. Uh, Monty wouldn't go into those details, but we'll have another update here on Saturday. And and the way that I would describe it is Monty didn't necessarily seem overly optimistic that he would be available for game one, but he also didn't rule that out. He said that we're hopeful, we're, you know, we're we're considering that, we're, we're knowing that that's still a possibility. We're kind of going through this week, you know, obviously having contingency plans in place, but... Um, you know, it's going to be a situation where it's sort of day by day, right? It's, it's yeah. the same protocols now that uh, even though most players are vaccinated, a lot of teams are on, you know, the restrictions have been lifted. But if you are in protocols, um, you know, there's still the, the same whether you're being contact traced or whether you tested positive that you have to, if you've tested positive, you have to have, to have two negative consecutive negative tests, like within a 24 hour period. And so none that, that's all the same as far as when someone would be able to come back if they have tested positive. So again, it, it's sort of, it's, it's a, it's, you know, we were all really excited here that the Suns swept the, the nuggets just for, you know, any yeah. reason being a playoff series is great regardless, but now that that Chris Paul is in protocols, like if the Suns would have had to play a game five last night, he obviously wouldn't have been able to play. And so this even gives more time, number one, for him to go through whatever situation he's going through. And number two, for the team to prepare potentially if someone like a Cameron Payne needs to start, if an Etwan Moore needs to get back in the rotation and Javon Carter, like whatever the contingency plan is, they've got some time to figure things out and go through it. And so, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. It's sort of been the story of this season and the playoffs for many teams dealing with injuries and COVID and protocols and all this stuff. And, um, you know, it certainly hit Chris Paul right now and, and the Suns, and they're going to have to fight their way and manage through it. 
Absolutely. And I, and I want to stick with Chris Paul here because I don't want this unfortunate news to overshadow the stellar play of Chris Paul throughout yeah. this season. Um, obviously, just on Monday, had a lights-out game. I think he had 37 points, mm-hmm. um, like 14 of 19 shooting. He just absolutely balled out. And a lot of people out there are saying that CP3 is the real MVP. Um, <laughs> just what are some of your general thoughts on Chris Paul's seasons this year, on his season this year, and should have maybe he won the MVP award after we got to see him do head-to-head against Joker, who ended up winning it. Yeah, well, I think it's safe to say his shoulder is okay now. Yeah. <laughs> that was, of course, all of the the storyline of, of that first series against, uh, against the Lakers when he hurt his shoulder in game one, and you're like, oh my gosh, is this going to be the latest thing that derails, you know, a potential championship finals type run for Chris Paul because he's had so much tough luck in, in the playoffs and going back through throughout much of his career. But anyway, seems like his shoulder's all right. And yeah, he was absolutely fabulous in that nugget series, especially in the second half and especially in the fourth quarter. But in that closeout game on Sunday, I mean, that third quarter, he went six of six from the floor, all of his signature textbook, elbow, pull up jumper, pick and roll. And it was just like, it's, you know, it's so clinical what he does, where it's just boop, boop, go get to your spot, make the jumper. And it's just it's incredible to watch that it's just so automatic each and every time. And, and yeah, you can look at his play on the floor and you can look at his impact on this Suns team. I mean, I think we all thought that this team was on the rise after after the bubble run, going 8-0 in Orlando, having young players like Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton and Mikhail Bridges, having that young core. But the impact that Chris Paul has made as far as his leadership, his influence, the way that his work habits and daily habits have rubbed off on the rest of his team and how he sort of is the ultimate conductor and ultimate orchestrator on the floor has just been tremendous. And so, you know, certainly Nikola Jokic is a is a worthy MVP candidate. And that's another guy that I, I used to cover when I worked for the Denver Post covering the Nuggets. So I have all the respect in the world for Nikola and what he's done this season and and the numbers he put up, the fact that he was available for every game, just all of that in this season that's been so strange, I, I think is worth celebrating. But um, you know, Chris Paul was certainly a worthy candidate. And I think yes why um you know in these playoffs and just the way he's led this Suns team throughout the season absolutely you mentioned the bubble run the Phoenix Suns with eight no in the bubble unfortunately they weren't able to make it to the playoffs but um you know at the beginning of the episode we alluded to it how fun this team has been their playing style is fun it yeah. sort of gives me like Warriors 2015 vibes a little okay. bit yeah. <laughs> hey just a little bit just a little bit um not identical but it's giving me those vibes and then you look at what that team, the momentum that this team was able to carry over from the bubble into this season as they now await the winner of the Clippers and Jazz series to play them in the East, I mean, in the Western Conference Finals, excuse me. But for you, Gina, you've been in several different markets throughout your career. But, you know, I had to look no further than your uh, Twitter bio to see that the first market that you started in was the Phoenix market. <laughs> the market that you're currently in is the Phoenix market. What has it been like for you to be able to cover this team post-pandemic, um, and not post-pandemic, but post-suspension uh, from last season, going into the bubble, leading all the way up to now, as somebody who is actually from the city of, of Phoenix? Because it seems like a dream come true. Yeah, it's been pretty awesome. Like like you mentioned, yeah, the reason why that 602 is the first area code on my Twitter profiles, because I am you know born and raised in Phoenix, and I'm a rare 
I'm a rare kid in that my both my parents are also born and raised in Phoenix, which is oh, very wow. interesting for a city of transplants. So, I mean, my, my roots are very deep here as far as family and friends and my upbringing. And, and yeah, so being able to come back and first cover the Suns for the athletic and now kind of working on, on the team side of things has been incredible. And I, it's incredible for me personally, but it's also been really, really neat to see um, the revitalization of this franchise and what it means to this city. Because, I mean, you go back to the 60s and 70s when this team first arrived in Phoenix. That's when Phoenix was still like a tiny town, like trying to prove itself as a major league city. And when when they went to the finals in 1976, that like helped legitimize them as a city. And then you go to the 93 finals and playing Michael Jordan and the Bulls and, and the heartbreak of, of that series. But this is a son's town and it sounds really cliche. And it's, you know, maybe not quite the same as like what the Blazers mean to Portland, just because now there all are, there is all like four major sports teams here, right. but the, the, the love for the Suns, it's, is a deep rooted love. And so seeing that sort of return and seeing that pride return to the Valley and seeing, um, you know, people who have been fans for years, like proud of this franchise again. And then even seeing like, I've got family who aren't necessarily crazy sports fans, but they're now watching games and like inviting me over to watch Clippers jazz last night because they're all <laughs> in the like, That type of stuff is really cool. And so, yeah, yeah so to, to kind of see that and to capture that and to, you know, be a part of that in some way has been really neat. It's been um, why I wanted to come home and why I wanted to cover this team specifically, because I know what it means to the city. And so it's been um, it's been a bummer that, that people couldn't enjoy the entire season just because of the pandemic. But obviously now um, the arena is at full capacity, much like a lot of arenas are around the league. And um, the atmosphere has been super loud, super crazy. Yes. Just It's been one of the best environments, I think, during these playoffs. And, and I think that's a testament to the support and the fan base that's here right now. Absolutely. I think uh, Phoenix and Utah have had the two best environments in the playoffs uh, uh, to this point. I mean, just you could just hear how loud and you could feel the energy for me through the TV screen. For yeah. you, I couldn't imagine being able to be there front and center. Um, you get goosebumps and chills. And I don't, yeah. know, I don't know if it's just because, again, we haven't been in crowds for a year and a half, basically. So there's, I think there's some of that adrenaline. But it's just, it's an awesome atmosphere. That's just how you, that's all I can describe it as. It's been an amazing atmosphere. How hard is that though? Because you know, it's like the ultimate sin to like cheer and press row and <laughs> you being a reporter covering your hometown team and just being in there and being able to feel that energy. You mentioned the goosebumps. Like, have you ever had to kind of reel yourself in a little bit? Like, hey, I got a job to do here. I can't quite. Right, right. <laughs> team because I gotta I gotta do this thing the right way how's that been for you yeah it's actually surprisingly not hard to like click into work mode and I mean you learn that pretty quickly when you're in journalism school when you when you start your you know start your journalism life you know covering the college that you go to and things like that and learning how to sort of put that aside it hasn't been too difficult to be honest with you but there are those moments where you kind of just look at the crowd and you're like this is pretty cool like you just it, you you want to soak in the atmosphere and just uh, appreciate how much everybody else around you is is very vocally enjoying their time being yeah. there. Um, but like I said, there is a lot of pride and there's a lot of um, just appreciation for this team and, and to be kind of a, a small part of being involved with that or like having the task of capturing what this playoff run has meant to the team and the city and the franchise has been really, really gratifying and very neat. 
Absolutely. I'm curious about this, though. I'm curious to hear the Suns' influence on the city of Phoenix on more of a socio-political level. Um, obviously, this last year has been quite unprecedented um, with the George Floyd murder, with um, the bubble and the stance that these players took in the bubble. And then during the offseason between the bubble and this season, you, you have what I deem to be the most significant pickup in the offseason in Chris Paul, who has come over, who's very vocal when it comes to social justice issues. Um, you know, he supports HBCUs. I know he started a, a social fund with Carmelo Anthony and Dwayne Wade. Um, you've just seen the NBA and the WNBA, because I don't want to um, forget about them in this, but you sort of seen them take the charge in the sports world here in the United States in regards to really standing up and taking a stance. And even when I look at Phoenix, it was a state that turned blue during the election season. Um, the state of Arizona, excuse me, but, but Phoenix obviously being where the Suns are located, turned blue. What has been sort of the socio-political impact that this Phoenix Suns team has had on the community out there? Yeah, well, you mentioned it. They just have some pretty outstanding leadership at the top of the organization, whether it is a player like Chris Paul. And I mean, he wears his HBCU gear to basically every game, every press conference. And so, and just his leadership in the Players Association. And then, you know, Monty Williams and James Jones. And that's one of the few teams in the NBA that has a black head coach and, and a black, you know, general manager, head of basketball operations, whatever that yeah. title is. And so I think that has a lot of influence. And, you know, at the height of last summer of the protests and, you know, George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery, like uh, Monty Williams came out and he kind of penned an op-ed that actually first ran in The Athletic when I was still there and, and then was published pretty widely. And it was, it was incredibly powerful. And it was just, you know, talking about just the work that we all need to do as a society, you know, starting with his team and, and extending out to, you know, all citizens, not just in Phoenix, but around the country and around the world. And so, you, you know, that, that that influence is still going on behind the scenes, whether it's with younger players, whether it's, again, as we come back from, from COVID and, and he's talked about wanting to, you know, meet with local police departments, meet with local government officials and, and continue to have that dialogue and have the sons be involved in that. And so that's obviously incredible to see that um, take place. And then you look on the WNBA side and um, on, on the Mercury team, you know, Skylar Diggins-Smith has been very vocal during, during these times. Uh, Brianna, Brianna Turner has been incredibly um, vocal, which she's a young, like soft-spoken player, but that's something that was really important to her because she's the daughter of, of law enforcement and yeah. so many amazing uh, perspective on an issue like that. And, and the thing I'll close with on this topic is um, every day now when I drive into the arena on, on the side of the arena, there's this really cool mural that was painted in February during Black History Month and um, local artists were painting murals all over downtown Phoenix. And there's one now on the arena and it's Monty Williams, Chris Paul, Skylar Diggins, Brianna, Brianna Turner and Javon Carter. And it's all of them like leading a protest uh, wow. and it's really, really powerful and really cool. And it's, it's, you know, it's, it's them, you know, Skylar's in a say her name shirt and, and Brianna's in a black lives matter shirt. And, um, you know, Monty Williams is wearing the, the patch that they were wearing in the bubble of, you know, coaches for racial justice. And it's just, it's a reminder and it's, it didn't just go up in February and then it was painted over. Like it's still there in, in the middle of June. And I don't think they'll ever, you know, paint over it or, or change it or anything like that. So the fact that you can be just like walking in downtown Phoenix and that 
that you can see that so plainly on a massive, um, you know, building a, a hallmark of downtown, I think is really cool. And so that speaks to that the organization was behind this as well and saying, yes, you can paint this on our building. And, and so I think that kind of is a, is a good reminder every single day when I drive into work that, okay, this is what we've all been through the past year and there's still so much work to be done, but that there's um, really good leadership in place to continue to help guide us on how we can continue to try to make this world a little bit better for everybody. Absolutely. And that's super cool because like, as aforementioned, you know, the state of Arizona, they swayed from red, red to blue during the elections. Um, also, you know, from the outside world, the outside looking in, not being in Phoenix and not being in Arizona, as I mentioned, most places that had limited restrictions, like during this pandemic, were looked at as like these conservative states or looked at, you know, as these states that you know, we're, we're Trump supporting states for lack of a better term. So I think it's actually very important to acknowledge um, the work that this Phoenix Suns organization has done, that the Phoenix Mercury organization has done. I had no idea about um, the mural that you just uh, talked about uh, as you enter into the stadium, because like I said, it just seems like a tide is turning in Arizona from the outside looking in. You may be able to kind of speak to that a little bit more, but just from the outside world, I could see sort of a transition happening over there in Arizona. And it's quite impressive to see. And again, it's quite impressive to see, you know, these athletes and, and these sport organizations really taking the charge and trying to pe and trying to get people to just do the right thing ultimately. Yeah, yeah, and, and it has changed. It's it's different from the the state that I grew up in, and and you know it's it's it, it, some demographics have changed, but also I just think you know people evolve and and yeah. changes in a lot of ways too, and so I think that led to um, what you're talking about as far as the election. But as far as from a team perspective, again, it's like you know maybe I'm biased because I talk to Monty Williams almost every day, but like you hear him speak. And he just speaks with such a presence and with such intention and with such a thoughtfulness that it it makes you want to listen. And he he doesn't he's not preachy, but he's just very thoughtful. And so when he talks about um, you know growing up in colonial Virginia, and he talks about um, learning that his ancestors were slave owners. And that's why his, his that's why his last name is Williams. Like, yeah, that, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, he talked about that in the bubble and, and, um, just things like that, that it really makes you, you think, and just his background and the people he's encountered throughout his career and his life. And just, again, the, the people that he's coaching and, and he obviously talks about the, the young black men that he's coaching, but he also talks about, wanting to learn about all of his players. If it's like a European player, like a Ricky Rubio last year, a Dario Saric, like, hey, I want to learn about Croatian history. I want to learn about Spanish history. I want to like, just, we can, he, the way he always phrases it is we can, we're, we're so much better people if we can all learn from each other. And Absolutely. I, that, you know, and that's what's so great about the game of basketball too, is that you've got all the different types of people who have come from all different backgrounds, all different places, all different upbringings. And I think that's just if we can all just learn from each other and be empathetic and and, you know, just be there for each other and listen to each other. I think that goes a long way. And that's always when he talks about changes that need to be made or things we can do better as a society. It's always coming from a place of that, of just empathy and wanting to learn from each other. And that's, I think, a great place to start and is, is sort of a way to um, maybe perhaps welcome 
more um more involvement or more outreach or however you want to phrase it but yeah he's he's a terrific speaker on that and i think is genuinely wants to help make change and, and that's really a positive thing here in this community absolutely and sticking with monty williams here there's been a lot of healthy skepticism around him not winning the coach of the year award um congratulations to tom thibodeau of course who did a great job with that new york knicks franchise but um I certainly was expecting Monty Williams to win the award. I would imagine, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, you probably had your article written up and ready to go and then kind of got a curveball thrown at you when Tibbs ended up being the award winner. Um, just talk about sort of the snub that I, I, it's at least I deem it to be a snub uh, of Monty Williams not winning that award and how that sort of has affected and impacted Suns Nation. Yeah, I mean, people were disappointed here, obviously, and but you won't get any sour grapes from Monty Williams himself uh, because him and Tom Thibodeau are actually very good friends. They uh, coached together with Team USA um, a few years ago and have you know remained in touch and remained tight. So uh, no sour grapes from him, and he was very complimentary of Tom Thibodeau and, and the job that he did with the Knicks. But yeah, it's like, and if you look at the the voting breakdown, Monty actually received more first place votes, but yeah. it's like that tiered system where you get so many points for first place, so many place points for second, so many points for third. And so he didn't show up on enough like second and third place ballots, which surprising to me that some people would not have him on their ballot at all. Like yeah, and, and there, are plenty of, there are plenty of great candidates. Thibodeau, of course, was a great candidate. Quinn Snyder, even a Nate McMillan, like they're, they're I'm not trying to discount what anybody else has, has done as far as their coaching is concerned, but to not have them on your ballot at all was probably pretty surprising. But yeah, I mean, again, the, the results show in, in his impact on this team and it goes back to the past two years and what he's done since he arrived here, um, you know, coming off of a 19 win season and how he's transformed this franchise and, and yeah, it's all the tactical stuff, but it's also the stuff that I mentioned where, um, he's just such a thoughtful, engaging human being that he really connects with his players. And whether it's somebody like a Chris Paul, who um, was Chris's coach in New Orleans a decade ago, and they still have that connection and that partnership, they can relate to each other. And then all of the younger players, too, where, um, you know, he's kind of I hate to use the term father figure because that's a cliche, but yeah. it's it's a deeper relationship than just a coach player. And he really wants to guide these younger players and, and sort of show them the way and, um, you know, be there for them off the court. And I think it's really kind of, he's the perfect coach for this particular group. I don't yeah. know if style would be the best fit on a super veteran team that, you know, maybe doesn't need that guidance or does it's like, okay, I got it. I know my routine. I know what I'm doing, like all that stuff. But for this particular team, that's sort of, Yes, Chris Paul's been to the playoffs a million times. Yes, Jay Crowder has been to the finals and, and is really experienced. But for this group that's, as a whole, going through this all for the very first time, um, Monty is kind of the perfect guy to sort of shepherd this team along. And he's got all these little words of wisdom and phrases that I did a whole story on a few weeks ago because you hear them all the time. And it's yeah. just like little life lessons that even I find myself like, listening to and being like, that's a really good thought. I'm going to remember that for the next yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. Hit a brick wall or something like that. <laughs> Absolutely. Or, you know, or just have a, have a tough day or something like that. And so, um, like I said, I think he's the perfect coach for this group at this time and was certainly a worthy coach of the year. I'm surprised he didn't win it. But also, uh, like I said, he was very complimentary of Tom Thibodeau as well. 
Absolutely. But I think this just makes the executive of the year award that much more important because, you know, I mentioned the healthy skepticism around Monty Williams not winning coach of the year. Um, and many people feel that there is a racial element there to that. Um, but now you look at the executive of the year award um, that has not been announced yet. And we already mentioned how great James Jones has been in that sort of GM head of basketball operations position for the Suns. He's been able to draft really well. He obviously brought Monty Williams over um, to the Phoenix Suns. They go 8-0 in the bubble. And then after that, you have an offseason coming into this season where, as I said, I think him bringing Chris Paul to the Phoenix Suns was indeed the most, and, and it's proven to be the most significant offseason move in the right. NBA um, coming into this season. So, um, if James Jones doesn't win it, then yeah, I, I gotta definitely be skeptical. A skeptical about sort of the racial element of things as well. I'm trying to give the NBA the benefit of the doubt for not giving Monty Williams the Coach of the Year award, but I will really be hurt to not see James Jones win the executive of the year award because I don't think nobody deserves it more than he does. Yeah. And he's again, just done a great job since he took over kind of in weird circumstances when Ryan McDonough was fired right before the 2018-19 season. And James Jones gets thrust into this interim job and then gets the job full time after that season. And you go back to just, he's been very deliberate in how he's built this team and that he wants guys that um, have NBA ready skills and could yeah. have immediately. Uh, so, you know, for instance, when he's drafting, he might not go for the guy with all this potentially goes for a guy like Cam Johnson, who immediately could come in and shoot. And in his second year is proven he can defend better than we thought, who can kind of make plays off the dribble, who's more athletic than we thought. And it is an immediate fit and rotation player. So, you know, you go for a guy like that at number 11 rather than staying at number six and maybe drafting somebody with more potential but the, the type of guys who had not worked out for the Suns in, in recent years when you think of the Josh Jacksons and the Marquise Chris's and the Dragon Benders and the you know you go on and on with all these lottery picks that just did not work out for this team and that's why they were in, struggling for so long and so plays players like that you, you know, trades that he's made, moves that he's made, you, know, you bring over somebody like a Dario Sarge, you bring over somebody like a Kelly Oubre, who then you are yeah. able to flip into Chris Paul. Um, <laughs> all, these certain, all these certain moves that, you know, that the chess pieces all kind of were laid out and, and then it all sort of culminates in being able to trade for Chris Paul. And here we are with this team. But even beyond just him in the offseason, I mean, you sign a guy like Jay Crowder, who's coming off the finals run with the Heat. You sign guys like Langston Galloway and Etuan Moore, who are not even in the rotation, but yeah. are really good vets and are, you know, if Etuan Moore has to play because Chris Paul is out with COVID protocols, you feel comfortable throwing him in there. If you need Definitely. Langston Galloway to give you some spot minutes, you feel comfortable doing that. And they're veterans who have accepted their roles, who are just like really good guys in the locker room. And I think just building out a team with depth, and with good people, I think goes a long way. And so, yeah, I, I'm with you and that James Jones is certainly a deserving executive of the year candidate. And it's it's been kind of a cool story arc for him as well, because when he was first promoted, you know, there was, I think, some skepticism around him, like just because he was inexperienced and, um, you know, a, for, a recent former player. And it's like, okay, is he actually ready to have the top front office job for a team and just very slowly very methodically he's sort of just 
made the team better, made the team better, made the team better, made the team better. And then here we are with, with a team that has the second best record in the NBA and is waiting on every other playoff series to end because they swept their second yeah. series. So um, <laughs> yeah, he's certainly proven a lot of doubters wrong, I think. And his method may have looked um, a little funky from the outside at first, but it's led them to this point where they have a chance to legitimately win a title. So yeah. Definitely, definitely. Now, now Gina, I don't condone violence here on the Wake Up and Win podcast. Let me start with that before I ask you this next question. But we all saw the viral video of <laughs> the Suns fan beating the Sugar Honey Ice Tea out of the Nuggets fan and right. then looking into the camera and giving a prophetic statement by saying, Suns and foe. <laughs> and then Devin Booker follows up and tweets that he's looking for the man's info for whatever reason that may be. But obviously, he felt good about what the guy did in the defense of the Phoenix Suns. Um, just talk about what your reaction was to seeing that video. Because for me, my reaction was, that was much better than the Floyd Mayweather-Logan Paul fight. <laughs> I would have much rather paid for what I saw in that stands than I than what I saw in that Floyd Mayweather debacle, whatever that was that he and Logan Paul had going on. I, I would have much rather paid for what I saw in the stands that night. Again, not condoning violence, but it sure as heck was entertaining. Yeah, I will echo that and say, uh, do not condone violence. Fist fighting is not the, the way to solve problems. But yeah. uh, he, the, the the Nuggets fan came at him first. And yeah, so what do you do in that situation? I don't know. Um, <laughs> and, and, but as far as saying sons and four, first of all, how many times have we, and again, not I'm not saying I've gotten in fist fights in my life, but how many times have you walked away from an argument or something like that and you just wish you had that like mic drop moment? Yeah. Where yeah. you're like, oh, and you think of it like three hours later. And you're oh, like, I've done that so many times. had it in that moment, I was like, man, that's that's just I I commend that part. Your quick thinking in that way. Uh, but the whole Suns and Four thing has been a, a crazy sort of phenomenon because during Game Two uh, of the Nuggets series, when the Suns were up like 30 points and the arena and basically turned into a massive party and the wave was happening and all that stuff. But just, it was just a big party and a small corner. I first heard it like a small corner under one of the baskets started chanting sons and four sons and four. Oh, and, okay. and at that okay. point you're like, man, that's kind of like either you're like being very brash about it or you're yeah. like very, or you're very earnest and don't realize how hard playoff series typically are. And you're thinking that this team's going to sweep. And then when we went to Denver, because um, I, I was in the arena there as well, and there was a pretty good contingent of Suns fans right behind the bench. And even from, I was on the complete opposite side of the arena, and at various points throughout games three and four, um, people would start chanting, Suns and four, Suns and four. And I was like, man, <laughs> this is like caught on. Yeah. And, then, and then at the end of game four, when they did in fact sweep the series, I sort of ducked out of the arena and I went into the concourse and the Suns fans that were walking out of the arena were chanting that, like, leaving the building. And so wow. it was a like, rallying cry for this team, which is really kind of, it's, it's crazy when that sort of takes on a life of its own, where it's nothing that's endorsed by the team, frankly. Yeah. And that's like, you know, it's not like it's on the video board or it's prompting or it's this, like, chant that this team has had forever. It's not anything like that. It was just a very 
organic thing that sort of took off and certainly the viral video um, helped with that. And, and yeah, the fact that that was just what he said was, uh, it was something. It, it, was, it was prophetic was what it was. <laughs> yes, it was, it was. So yeah, I don't know if the Suns will be able to use that chant or any Suns fans will be able to use that chant the rest of the playoffs. I'd be shocked if they, I mean, it would be very impressive if they swept either, any of the teams that they would have to face remaining, but um, that's going to be a kind of fun little uh little element to this series is, is just sort of how that phrase uh, took off. And certainly in the world of Twitter and Instagram and social media, it, it did sort of take on a life of its own. And Devin Booker's world too. Yeah, <laughs> but, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what Devin had up his sleeve, but yeah. yeah. Uh, was I, I was curious. I was going to ask that. Have, have you been able to get any information at practice <laughs> on what it was? No, <laughs> no, it, he is not. He is not. <laughs> so, but I'm sure okay. ask him and be like, yo, what do you learn from the sons and four dude? But yeah, for uh, sure. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, sticking with physical intensity here um there was a lot of discussion around whether Nikola Jokic should have been ejected um mm -hmm. in that game four after he just absolutely hacked Cameron Payne right in his nose area um yeah. for me I felt that he should have been ejected for based on what it was that I saw on TV and I feel like the fact that him that he's the MVP isn't enough for him to be able to sort of get this privilege to not get ejected because I feel like a lot of people know that the hack was, was intentional. It looked intentional from what I saw. And obviously he was ejected because of it, but many people are trying to argue and debate that because he was the MVP, he should not have been ejected and that this hurts the NBA and blah, 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 blah. What are just some of your thoughts on what took place on that particular possession? And do you feel like, Joker indeed should have been ejected after hacking Cameron Payne the way that he did. Yeah, I saw very polarized responses. I like, you know, I saw people saying, oh my gosh, yes, of course he should have been ejected. And oh my gosh, no, he shouldn't. This is the worst thing in the universe. So it was, it was interesting how polarizing it was. And I think that the thing that was sort of the determining factor, at least for me, was the fact that he wound up, you know, yeah, he, he absolutely. brought his arm back. And do I think he was trying to hit him in the face? I don't. And I think the fact that he went over and apologized to Cameron Payne before he left the floor demonstrates that. But it, to me, I, the way that I sort of, the analogy that I use is, is the targeting rule in football where, you know, sometimes you can tell that another player is going right for somebody's head. Yeah. And sometimes the other player ducks and that's the reason why the, the collision still happens. And it's mm. like, okay, I know you don't, maybe you didn't intend to hit him in the head, but you did. And so yeah. like, it's still, you, you gotta say, or sorry, officer, I didn't mean to be speeding. It's like, well, you were like, there's all kind. I mean, there's all kinds of like, I, yeah, at some point, even if you don't intend to do something, if you did it, you should still should face some consequences for it. So again, I, I know that some people, you know, maybe thought, oh, I was just, just going for the ball or he didn't hit him like square on in the face that kind of like went across his face, but yeah. he, still, he still could have broken his nose or, or given him a black eye or, or something serious and he was laying on the ground for a while. So, um, and, and as far as like the MVP argument, um, I, 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 I don't think that should come into play when it's something like a, a, a potentially 
dangerous or violent move, even if it's not intentional. And again, I know Nicola from my time covering him and he's not like a malicious player. And so I don't think there, I, I believe him when he says that he didn't mean to do it, but he did do it. And yeah, so yeah. I, I think that's, it's a situation where you can't let it get out of hand and, and you can't let it um, sort of, you can't let that slide. So um, I, 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 I understood why he was ejected based on the rules and, and again, based on the windup. And, and there's, there was a great photo in the Denver Post uh, the following day and, and the photographer got him literally milliseconds before. And I mean, yeah, his arm is all the way back. Like it yeah. looks, it's, it's not like he's going for a punch. Like you can't see this as a podcast, but it's <laughs> like he went back to, to swing it like this. And like, to me, that's, you're, you're asking for trouble if yeah. you're, if, doing that and and you know that you're even if you're trying to go for the ball or go for someone's arm and you accidentally hit him in the face instead you you still wound up and and yeah hit someone in the face so or struck someone in the face so yeah that's kind of where I fall on it and, and that's the thing I agree that maybe he wasn't trying to hit Cameron Payne in the face but I also think don't think that he was trying to go for the ball either and you know hard on the arm absolutely the the arm the body anywhere but the ball and that's where i had a problem with it is that it didn't even seem like he was going for the ball at all like i said maybe he wasn't trying to catch him in the nose but again he wound up and he wasn't going for that basketball so for me that determined everything in regards to why he was ejected and why i i agreed essentially with the fact that he did get ejected. So, you know, I don't think it was like intentional from the sense that like he is a malicious guy. And obviously you alluded to, to the guy that he is from your time being able to cover him with the Denver Post. But the reality is they were getting their asses whooped. They're down 3-0 in the series. And he was frustrated. It, it seemed like it was something that he did out of frustration and he had reason to be frustrated in that very moment that he did what he did. So I don't think it's an indictment against him as a player, against him as an individual, but certainly in that moment, uh, everything to me led to the right decision being made by him being ejected. So it was unfortunate, but you know, sometimes it has to happen that way. Well, and it didn't change the outcome of the series. I Not mean, at all. The Nuggets actually, like, after he was ejected, I thought they kind of had a very spirited uh, comeback and they did some did some things with JaVale McGee and, and some stuff that maybe the Suns hadn't prepared for and they cut it to, like, four, four points uh, late in that game. And so it's, yeah, I mean, again, maybe the Nuggets would have won that game had uh, he, he played the whole time. I don't know, but it's like you said, they were down 3-0 in the series and, and it's, it's unfortunate that it happened, um, but you know that's that's the way it goes. Yeah, and, and yeah, I mean, it's like uh, Jay Crowder and Devin Booker have both been ejected during these playoffs as well, and it's just yeah. it like it, it, if you if you pop off or you you know it, it, and and yeah, I don't necessarily like the oh he's the MVP so he can do no wrong or label or being like oh well this just shows that the NBA doesn't recognize him as a legitimate MVP. Person, it's like I would LeBron never would have been ejected. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. It's hard to it's hard to say one way or the other on, on that. So I, I don't really buy into that part of the narrative. It's just you have to look at the incident and look at the rules and look at just the situation and sort of evaluate it from there. And I think that's what the officials did. 
Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you got to kick it with Auntie last night, and you got to watch Game Five of the yeah, Clippers. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You and Auntie got to kick it last night. That's dope. That's dope. Um, you got to watch the Clippers and, and the Jazz Game Five. Obviously, Kawhi Leonard's out. Um, don't know if he's going to come back this postseason. And you know, the Clippers were able to still do their thing and, and take a three-two lead in this series over the Jazz. Um, but from the standpoint of Phoenix, obviously, because that's who you cover, who do you think is a better matchup for the Suns in that series for them to ultimately try to get to the NBA Finals, which is obviously the goal, but you got two really good teams competing to be able to face off against the Suns in the Western Conference Finals. Sure, yeah, well, I think it's going to be a tough series regardless. But if Kawhi, is, if, if it is his ACL and he's out for the season, I think that obviously changes things. And yeah. Case, I'd probably rather see the Clippers if I'm the Suns. But if he's able to come back or it's the Indians or he's not as serious as we as we maybe anticipated is, and hopefully it's not, I hope he's healthy. Absolutely. Uh, I, think, I think the Suns would rather see the Jazz, even though they would lose home court advantage in that scenario. Um, they swept the Jazz 3-0 during the regular season. And I just think that would be a really fun matchup between whether it's Devin Booker and Jonathan Mitchell. Uh, DeAndre Ayton has played well against Rudy Gobert this season. Uh, some great role players on both sides. And, and I think it's two teams that are sort of in that prove it mode. That yeah. Sort of yeah. Some wonder from outsiders of like, okay, are these just the cute regular season stories? Are these just, or are these guys mm. actually ready, either team, to go to the NBA Finals? And, and you could put the Jazz in that same category as the Suns. But, you know, the Clippers, I mean, Paul George has been great against the Suns this season. And so uh, the fact that he was cooking last night, uh, I think maybe scares the Suns. scares me a little bit if I'm a Suns fan, but we'll have to see if they can close it out. Um, and that was a great performance by them last night to, to win without Kawhi and to put themselves in position to close the series out at home. But if Kawhi is not healthy, I, I like the Suns chances a lot better in a seven game series than he's healthy, obviously. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. And then they would have home court advantage. In yeah. That so either way, it's kind of like, I, I mean, again, it's going to be a tough series regardless. It's going to be a fun matchup regardless. Um, but yeah, that variable for me is Kawhi. And I think most of all, Suns fans right now are just hoping that this series goes seven games because that will extend when game one would be, which would give Chris Paul more time to get yeah. out of here. <laughs> uh, yeah. so, so the Phoenix Suns fans are rooting for the Utah Jazz on Friday. And then it probably it probably depends on who you ask as far as who they would be rooting for in a potential game seven. But right. yeah, they will be rooting hardcore for the Utah Jazz <laughs> on Friday night. And we're probably rooting for the Clippers last night. So, again, we're rooting for ourselves. That's what we're all doing, right? That's what we do in this uh, yeah, absolutely. In world. Whatever is best for us personally. So, But absolutely. I think yeah, a fun, a fun series, and it would be um, you know, a lot of teams with a lot to prove because the Clippers certainly have a lot to prove right now as well. And so I think um, I think that that would create a very fun matchup. But, yeah, I will be eagerly watching on Friday and perhaps Sunday as well ahead of game one on Tuesday. <laughs> That's what we're pushing for. Yeah. Um, I, I, I know you're busy, Gina Mizell, so I just got two more questions for you. Right. And, and they are not Phoenix Suns related. So okay. um, I'm interested to hear. So recently we started a segment on this podcast titled The Six Man Segment. And okay. it basically derived from Usually I ask people a, a question about like, what is your top five in whatever category I see fit, depending upon who the guest is, of course. 
Um, but with the six-man segment, obviously, weaving a little bit of a sports element to it, I, I noticed that a lot of people were having a tough time narrowing their list down to just five. So I give them an extra to put on this list, right? We get a Jamal Crawford. I love it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You get a Jamal Crawford. But my question to you, because I had to look no further than your Twitter bio to recognize that you are missing live musicals right now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so with that being said, give me your top five musicals and then give me a sixth one that maybe just didn't make that five, but it was hard for you to leave out of your list. Okay, yes, I've been waiting for this question my whole life. I have a split personality because I obviously love sports and love what we do and, and all of that. But um, the reason I love musicals so much is my, my family owned a dance studio while I was growing up. And so I actually wow. grew up as a competitive dancer. And so, uh, you know, musicals, the arts is like still, is like very much part of my life. And it's kind of my escape from, from sports when I need it. So um, I will start with, because you mentioned that I was hanging out with my aunt last night. The reason why we went straight, the reason why I was at her house later on in the evening is because we went and saw the In the Heights movie earlier in the day. Okay. And that movie, oh, and that show was incredible. Um, it's it, Before Hamilton, um, it was Lin-Manuel Miranda's, like, the first show that he wrote. And it's, it's an incredible story and incredibly important in this uh, time that we're in. So I have to put In the Heights in there uh, in, in maybe... Maybe that's the sixth one. I don't know. But so we're going to start with that. So I'm going to like. That's fine. It. And uh, it doesn't have to be in any particular okay. order. Yeah. It have to be in any, I don't want to make it too tough on you. But, right, but. right. Okay. <laughs> so, so my favorite musical of all time is Rent. Um, that okay. is like, that's just for very deep personal reasons. Uh, that's, and it's an amazing show. It's won the Pulitzer. I mean, it's, it's a classic at this point. So Rent yeah. is my favorite show of all time. So we'll have Rent in the Heights. Um, let's see, Dear Evan Hansen is one of my favorites of all time. Um, okay. that's an incredibly emotional contemporary story. Um, just that it makes me cry every single time that I, uh, that I listen to the, listen to the cast recording, see the show, all of that. Um, so those would be, those, that's three. Um, wow. This is like, hold on, I'm trying to think. Um, cause I'm thinking like movie musicals, stage musicals, uh, Let's see. A uh, Spring Awakening is one of my other favorite shows. Okay. Um, again, I, I like have a lane where it's like contemporary, not like the classic necessarily musicals you would think of. Okay. Um, my favorite, my favorite classic musical is probably Cabaret, um, which is uh, again very can be very relevant in any time period, but most people know that from the Liza Minnelli movie probably. Um, and let's see. As far as a sixth man. Um, wow. Cause it's like, I don't want to have, I don't want to be like too, too like you can recently go out, biased. Go uh, out the box here. Go out the okay. box. Give go us something we wouldn't expect. At oh, least okay. musical fans. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, I mean, I could go Hedwig and the Angry Inch. I could go Waitress. I could go Six. I could go um i could go and i feel like there's something like i mean the chicago movie like yeah. production is not one of my favorites but the chicago movie like the cell block tango is one of the best scenes in movie recent movie history i think so uh yeah i mean i could go i could go on and on with with favorites but those are like the ones that come to mind off the top of my head so what did i say i said rent i said spring awakening dear yeah. Evan Hansen, in the heights cabaret 
um, waitress six, and uh, I don't even remember the last one. That I, <laughs> <laughs> I, gave full, I gave you a full rotation. I gave you a full rotation. You gave me a full rotation. <laughs> as soon as I get off of this, I'm going to be like, how did I not think of that? Like, how, yeah. <laughs> how did I miss that? Just so, but yes, I'm very excited that um, we're starting to return to normal because I already have my trip booked to New York in September to go. Oh yeah. Reopens. So literally yeah. the weekend before training camp starts, I will be in New York city to go see a bunch of shows. And I, I, I love it. Yeah. That's my, that's my like off topic, non-sports thing that I, that I really, really love. So yeah. And that's <laughs> why we did it. And, and, and here with this podcast, like I like it to be very intersectional anyway, because obviously, <laughs> you know, sports, it, it, it intersects in with so many different things, um, whether it be just the personality of an athlete, a reporter, a coach, an exec, you name it. Um, obviously, we've already talked about the intersection of sports and politics here. Um, it, it's just so many ways that these things come together. Even, even things as simple as, I've tried to call it a six-man segment, and you just gave me an eight-man rotation. <laughs> I didn't even say Hamilton. I didn't even, you didn't even say Hamilton. <laughs> I feel like Hamilton's almost in its own, like, it's like yeah. LeBron or the MJ. So it's like, I feel like if I say that, then it, I'm, like, popping out. So yeah, Hamilton's a masterpiece. So if you haven't watched it on Disney Plus or haven't seen it yet, do it. But yeah. I was I went with the I went with the hipster Lin Manuel show. I, went I with like the, it. So. I like it. I like it. I like it. Yeah, yeah. Hamilton is certainly in the league of its own. So yeah. I get it. I respect it. I respect it. And then the last question that I have for you, because this is called the Wake Up and Win podcast. Okay. And I hope that I don't give you a little bit of like PTSD here because you once covered the Oregon State Beavers at the yeah. Oregonian here in Oregon, yeah. right? Yeah. And. This question that I'm going to ask you is going to sound really Oregon Ducks-like. Okay. But it's not Fair. because I'm an Oregon Ducks fan. It's just because this podcast is called the Wake Up and Win podcast. So my question is this. When you wake up in the morning, is there anything that you do to set the tone for you to go out and win the day? Oh, man. Yeah. I, I, we got a dog during this quarantine time, nice. and so, which I feel like is a very big like COVID cliche, but we got a dog in October. And so she now wakes me up in the morning because she comes and jumps on my bed. And so that just makes me happy. Even if it's five o'clock in the morning and it's too early, I, it's like she wants to come cuddle with me. So that's, that, that sets the tone for the day. I'm unfortunately not like in my normal life, not a crazy morning person I wish that I was I wish I got up and like did yoga or worked out <laughs> or like, a bunch of coffee uh but now it's been just like my dog is getting me up and, and that, yeah. starts, that sort of starts the day and she's a total sweetheart and so I'm in a good mood when I wake up in the day so that's that's what I would mention is that she's kind of who helps me uh set the tone and, and start a new day which is always always great because dogs are the best I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, Gina, I appreciate you so much because I know you're busy right now. Um, I, I know things are, are amped up as, you know, the, the Suns are one of the final four teams that will remain here in these playoffs. Obviously, we got some other series that has some things to figure out. The Sixers got some things to figure out over there. They keep blowing these 20-point leads to the Hawks. Um, we already talked about the, the Jazz and the Clippers. So um, there's just a lot going on. But the Suns, we know, will be rocking steady 
going forward. Um, the Nets and, and, and the Bucks, I didn't even mention, they got a tough series going on over there. So um, I know you're busy, and I thank you so much for, for your willingness to join me here on the podcast. And don't be surprised if someday down the line, we invite you here again. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, Devon. I appreciate you having me. And it was, it was a lot of fun. Absolutely. On that note, we will leave y'all the only way that we know how, and that is to stay woke and go win. Go win.